You're listening to the Hyperfish Podcast with Jeremy Thake. Be sure to check out our three product, Hyperfish Lite, to make sure all your users in Office 365 have photos. So I'm really privileged today to have Dan Holm with me. He um, offered to come and share all the news announcements around SharePoint and OneDrive. So a big thank you, Dan, for joining the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Jerry. I, um, I appreciate you making the trek all the way over to uh, my my room, my podcasting studio. <laughs> it's pretty fancy here. <laughs> it's really quiet. <laughs> I, I noticed even with the microphone and the headphones on, people still want to come up and talk to you. And it's like, isn't it clear I'm recording a show right now? <laughs> so this gives us nice privacy to kind of go through and, and share the news. So... Um, Thanks again for doing this, and it's. I'm assuming you've had a big week run up to this, much like we have a Hyperfish with all the launches we've done. Yes, and congratulations on your launch. That's yeah, really exciting. Thank you. Yeah, it's I been saw really the good. Tweet and that's really really excellent. I'm sure it's going to open up a lot of new opportunities for people to see what you which we can do for their enterprise. Yeah, it's um, it's kind of hard not to keep staring at the numbers of who, how many people have signed up already for Hyperfish Lite because you know it's free, so everyone should be signing up who's listening. <laughs> uh, hint hint nudge nudge. But um, I guess the main thing we want to talk about today was um the core announcement of SharePoint and OneDrive. And I get the feeling from all the SharePoint sessions at Ignite that there's way too much to cover in 30 minutes on a podcast. There is. It's pretty crazy. We've had several briefings where we had an hour with an audience and couldn't even begin to scratch the surface of everything we're announcing this week, which is surprising to me because, as you know, we visited last after our SharePoint virtual summit in May. Yeah. And who would think that four months later we have that much more to share but it's pretty I, incredible i feel like it's almost like you've got over the foundational aspects now with sharepoint and OneDrive in the cloud and now you're really running in terms of just being agile enough to keep like adding extra features now that the all the frameworks in place like the modern pages and all the under underlying graph stuff that you had to do that is a crazy crazy perfect observation and i couldn't have couldn't have uh, even seated you with that as, yeah. as well because it's true i think we've I was telling people we've really crossed the line as far as modernizing the way SharePoint used to be. There's still more work to be done, but the vast majority of the work is complete, which is allowing us to really innovate and deliver things that people have never seen in SharePoint before. So we're releasing entirely new features that have never been out of the box, and we're even revising things that were released even a few weeks ago. Right, and I think that's key is that we all know and love SharePoint. We've been involved in it for so long. You've written untold amounts of books on this stuff when you're not at Microsoft as an MVP. And I think we we got used to certain features just being there for the longest amount of time, even all the way back to 2001. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to see these new features that, you know, we've all ranted and done blogs in the past of why doesn't it just do this? And now you're getting to those things because of all the momentum that you've got around the SharePoint and OneDrive modern, modern UI, I guess. Exactly. And so um, I, I guess there are a lot of announcements what would be your top three that you would kind of think are the ones that the jaws are going to drop? Because um, honestly, we're recording this now on Monday after the keynote. Uh, the sessions are tomorrow, so I can't push go on this until after the sessions. That's but right. What would be the three things that you think in your heart are going to be the ones where people go, wow, okay, it's back? Wow. If I had to pick three, they would actually be slight combinations of announcements, one of which is taking OneDrive files on demand, which everyone has heard about now, that allows you to see all your files in File Explorer on Windows 10. Putting that together with an announcement we made yesterday of the SharePoint migration tool, which is a simple tool to allow you to migrate your document libraries from on-premises SharePoint, as well as, importantly, your shared folders and home directories from file servers up into Office 365. When you put those two things together, that means your users suddenly can get to all the files they need, even those that used to be on home directories and file shares, 
on any device. You can take advantage of the uh, intelligent security in the cloud to really secure those in a way it really wasn't ever possible on-premises. And because of files on demand, users can continue to work with all of them in File Explorer. So the user adoption barrier is gone. Right, yeah. You're not having to say, oh, stop going to File Explorer, mm-hmm. go to a web browser. You now see it all in K- File Explorer. Keep doing what you've always done. Yeah. It's kind of interesting because um, at Hyperfish, we have this challenge of, you know, we're all different ways of working and mm-hmm. different tools we want to use and different tablets and phones and uh, much like any company we're just on a you know a cuter smaller scale right now um and part of that though with uh, the OneDrive feature set like that is that you know it really gets away quickly from attachments and emails and this nightmare of here's a document to review now uh, send your review comments and getting back eight copies of the same document and then you've got to kind of do that merging just be able to send that link to the document and it's so easy now with the way I mean, I know it's been through quite a few iterations, the share dialogue, and it's family like, yep, check, you guys have totally nailed it now. And Thank I, you, I think we have I, I don't know how many iterations it was before you got to that point where it's like, okay, this just makes sense to a user now. And it's very clear who it's shared with. It's very clear how you go and grab that link and put it into email. And it just took a few little goes to get that kind of really polished. Yeah, and one of the small things, but important things we we talked about to, uh, at, the, at Jeff's session was that that sharing experience is now coming to Office applications. Yeah. So you will share inside of Excel or, or PowerPoint the same mm-hmm. way you do in a browser, uh, in, in File Explorer, in Finder on the Mac. Yeah. It's very, very cool and simple. Uh, and... Um, and we added the fact that now you can share with people securely outside your organization without you having to, without them having to have a Microsoft account. Yeah, which uh, is great. It's amazing, and none of our competitors have it. Everyone yeah. can share links, but no one has the ability to let me share some a link with someone and be sure that only they have access using an email-based ver- identity, identity verification process that's just like what we all use when we log on to a bank or a credit card site for the first mm-hmm. time. Sends you an email verification code, and you have to enter that in order to get access the first time. And then the person who shared the document or the organization can control how long that link is valid. Yeah, I did notice that in the UI. That's a really neat feature because occasionally I'll have a look at my, I call it, ironically, the Dropbox folder in my OneDrive. <laughs> and it's almost just kind of, you know like the legacy of what I used to use and it's kind of funny because you're like oh my god I can't even remember who's sharing these things and so mm-hmm. I kind of get in the habit now that when I do share links externally I do time bomb them just yeah. so that I know that you know I don't have to go through and do a cleanse of all those files because after a certain time it will just stop sharing those links yep. so that's kind of neat and so the migration like that's a, a big deal I know um, it's been something that a lot of Office 365 customers have asked for um, they're aware that there's a whole ecosystem of vendors mm-hmm. that have got big booths at Ignite. Oh, yeah. Um, and, Great vendors. Right. And uh, we, we've both worked at, at one of those. Um, and so how do you, what's the kind of the balance there? Like, I'm, I'm assuming this isn't a kind of a game of trying to kill those Oh, definitely businesses. not. Um, no, those, those tools are sophisticated. They yeah. handle complex migration scenarios. They handle restructuring content, which is... Very important when you're coming from something that's been on-premises for years or decades, it often needs to just be moved around in order yeah. to serve the right purpose in the cloud. So those customer, uh, those vendors still have a very important role to play, and we've been working with them in advance of this announcement, so this did not take them by surprise. Yeah, that, that's great that you have that relationship uh, yeah. with them as well, because that'd be the worst thing, you know, like sitting there watching the keynote and spitting your Pepsi out. <laughs> and, what? Um, and so I guess then to kind of dumb it down, essentially you've mentioned that it's not just for... Uh, administrators, but end users could yeah. use it to move their stuff into their own OneDrive 
for business area. Exactly. So if I'm a user, I can move my files to the cloud, or if I'm a site owner of an on-prem SharePoint site, I can click a button and move those documents oh, up to oh, right, Office okay. 365. And so um, just to get the nomenclature right, it's one OneDrive for business is like your personal area, and then SharePoint is where you you create SharePoint sites that teams would use to share documents. Not quite. I mean, no. uh, that that is the way we've talked about OneDrive and SharePoint for a long time. Yeah. Um, but first of all, uh, OneDrive is used to be something where I had my OneDrive, mm-hmm. right? And if I wanted to get to anything shared, I had to go somewhere else. I had to go to SharePoint. That's no longer the case. Now, uh, OneDrive lets me get to all my files. So in OneDrive, I see my personal files, and I see all the files shared with me on my sites, those sites that are connected with my groups, as well as perhaps communication sites and document document library or document repositories and such. So um, OneDrive is really a files experience. It's how you find and share all your files in Office 365. Now within that, you have your personal files still, uh, and you have all of your sites. So it, when, you, when you're wanting to go find a file, all you do is, if, if you're thinking, I need to find a file, well, you go to OneDrive or now File Explorer and just start clicking into where you know that file is saved. Mm-hmm. That, uh, that idea of having to think about two different places isn't really, uh, isn't really current anymore because sure. OneDrive lets you get to them all. Okay, so like the, the brand of documents is really OneDrive then is what you're saying? No, no, not the brand, but the experience you the use experience, to get to them. Sorry. And similarly, like if, I, if I'm in Word and I'm creating a document, yeah. I don't go to OneDrive or SharePoint. I just click Save. Mm-hmm. And then the question is, where are the people that I want to share this right. with? Uh, if, if they're in you know, a, a site, I go save it there. If it's really just my document that I'm drafting or ideating on, I'll save it to my personal files. And my personal files I can share from. You know, but my personal files are private by default. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to share with a group of people, it's better just to save in that in that location. And is there an easy way of then moving the file if you did kind of start it in your personal space, but then realize that it's better to put it in the team site area instead? Yeah, there's a mind-blowing way. <laughs> drag and drop. <laughs> I knew that was... Files funny. on demand, drag and drop, <laughs> cut and paste. It's, it's all yours, baby. You know, we don't have to necessarily you know, go to a browser and find a way to move a file around. You just go to File Explorer and drag it from your personal file folder to your site. So would that handle the versioning in the background or not? Like if I had versions that I've been saving and cultivating and just wanting when I move it to keep those versions, is that going to be handled with that in the background? Uh, actually, I don't know the answer to that. So let okay. me check and get back to you on that. Yeah, because... Um, I'm, I'm in just... general, when, that, when, when you're taking that step, you're making an intentional... Yeah, you know, action of saying, okay, now this is ready right. to, this is ready for prime time. Yeah. Um, so uh, that's the scenario, and I don't know what they built. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because it's question. like I might not necessarily want to have my version history there because it could show that I've been dragging my feet on this document for ages, <laughs> and it's just had a heading in there and nothing, and then drastically overnight you suddenly, and that's why people put stuff in their personal space because they don't want people to see it until they're happy with it to share. That's absolutely right. And I think that's why you know even internally. Like um, even Brian, for instance, our CEO, like he'll do that. He'll have mm-hmm. it on his laptop. And I'm like, Brian, just put it in your personal space so mm-hmm. you don't lose it. Um, and it's like, well, I don't want you guys seeing it until I'm happy with it before we share it. And so that's kind of definitely the, everyone has their own way of working with sure. files. And I think now that you just, everything's in the, the Finder or the File Explorer, it's perfect to be able to just kind of make that transition a lot easier. Exactly. And I think people just have to have confidence that the files you put in your personal files are private by default, unless mm-hmm. you've intentionally shared them. They're not shared. 
So OneDrive is uh, giving you access to those personal files that you used to store on your C drive, for example. So tell me, um, and this might be a curly one to ask, but you know me, I always ask the curly ones. That's why people listen. <laughs> um, this notion of like where I store things mm-hmm. used to be kind of like, is my personal space? Is it SharePoint? And then it kind of evolved into, is it I put it in my group, which under the covers is SharePoint. And now it's kind of the other experiences, Microsoft Teams is the other place I could like upload a file from. And I, I get the idea that it doesn't necessarily matter because at the end of the day, it's all SharePoint, OneDrive under the covers. But like, what's your guidance? Like how are you, for the customers that you talk to in briefings when they come over to Redmond or even at Ignite this week, how are you positioning that? Like what's, yeah, and what's it, in it for you guys as a OneDrive SharePoint team, but then as mm-hmm. a more holistic Office 365 thing as well? Well, the question you're asking is, is obviously very common, um, but I think it is a question asked by someone who's a technical and B has a lot of experience as we've evolved the product to, into what it is today. Yeah. Because the answer for a normal user, if I had a new user and they were saying, where do I save my files? I say, save it in the folder where your group works. Yeah. They don't necess- They don't even see, There's. they don't see SharePoint. They don't see, they don't need to see that it's Teams, Yammer, or whatever. Put it wherever the people are, mm-hmm. which means, you know, you click save in Office and then the backstage you find the folder where everything else is. Or you post it into a Teams uh, chat, or you post it into Yammer, or you upload it to SharePoint. Wherever it is that people are working, that's where you put it. And you don't have to think about it. So the real question, I think, behind it is, uh, behind this kind of thing is, if, if you're saving a file uh, for the first time, you, need, you want to put it where the people are. If, you're, if you don't have some place for the people yet, then it becomes a slightly more interesting question, which is, if you're starting a collaborative effort, what tool do you use uh, for that group? Uh, of people. And the the guidance that we are uh, really starting to uh, coalesce around here at Ignite is thinking about who you're working with and why you're working with them. There's, uh, Satya put this really wonderfully about a month ago or two months ago at one of our events where he talked about the inner loop. The inner loop are those people you work with on a regular basis on a project to deliver a certain set of goals. Uh, And that is one way of working. And um, and then there's another way of working, which is a, a, a more transparent, open way of working. It's more inclusive, and it allows you to bring in diverse perspectives and opinions. And you do that kind of thing when you reach out across the organization and ask a question, or you participate in an organizational community. And that's what Satya called the outer loop. Um, and if you think about that, those are two very different ways of working. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we're working on the drafts for our presentations at Ignite, we do it really as an inner loop effort because, as you said earlier, we don't want the rest of the world to see it until we're ready for them to see it. Yeah. However, if I'm trying to find out, you know, what's going to be the best thing to do at Ignite um, on Tuesday night, I'm not going to just ask my team. I want to find out from across the organization. I wanted that, that, that might be an outer loop effort. Or if we're iterating on what are the lessons everyone learned at Ignite and how can we do it better next year? That's gonna be much more effective as an outer loop exercise. Mm-hmm. And so if you think about that, there are tools, the, tool, the, the needs for tools in both those situations are quite different. And so we have teams, which is really optimized for that inner loop collaboration, where the team can work together, they can have persistent chat and, and get out of their inbox in order to stay very closely in touch and moving forward in real time. And then for the outer loop, there's Yammer, where you can, by default, have all your conversations out in the open, and you can solicit perspectives and ideas and best practices uh, from people you might not even know in the organization who are, uh, participate in that community or in that, uh, in that group. Um, so, so those two tools are really well honed for those two scenarios or those two use cases. 
And then, of course, there's always email. And email has evolved from distribution list to modern Outlook groups. Uh, but the concept is still the same, that you're, you're communicating an email. Uh, and that's a very targeted way of communicating. The only people who are participating in that one conversation are the ones who are on that thread. Um, and it's a ubiquitous. You know that everyone's going to have email. So uh, you've got really three ways to have a conversation. You've got Teams, which is super suited for Interloop. You've got Yammer, which is super well suited for Outer Loop. And you've got Outlook, which allows you to have conversations that are targeted and with full confidence that anyone who is going gonna, is gonna to participate is going to be able to respond. So that was a long way of setting up to the fact that if you're spinning up a collaborative initiative, you really want to think about who you're working with and why you're communicating and make your decision based on that. And once you've done that, you're done. Because wherever you work in for conversation, in Teams, in Yammer, in Outlook, the files that you're sharing, the, the content that you're collaborating on is all in a SharePoint team site. Because mm-hmm. every Office 365 group gets a team site, so it doesn't matter. And then you can go find those documents in OneDrive just using search. Exactly. So if you're yep. thinking about, you generally think, think of working with a file one of three ways. Either I need to find a file and work with it. That's what OneDrive was for. Or I'm in this group and I need to see what we're working on. And that's a group context. And mm-hmm. so you use the tool that your group is using. And then you find your files from there. You go to the Files tab in Teams. You go to the Document Library in SharePoint. You go to the Files tab in Outlook. Uh, you go to the Document Library from Yammer. Uh, the third way you work is you're creating something. And you want, you're thinking about it as the product of the tool. You're, it's a Word document. It's a PowerPoint presentation. And so like right now, most of the things I'm opening, I'm going to PowerPoint and going to the backstage right, and yeah. doing it from there because yep. I'm thinking about it as a PowerPoint presentation. I'm not thinking about it as a file. In and a I'm not thinking about it. Or... Yeah, and I'm not yep. thinking about it as being part of a work stream. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you think of it, it that, that's sort of the evolution that I think technologists need to make is it really in the end isn't about the tools. It's about... Uh, several ways of working, a tool-based way, which is sort of the oldest way, um, a context-based way, which is what is the group you're working with and what tool have they chosen to work in. And the third is it's files. Mm-hmm. And thank goodness, and this wasn't true 18 months ago, the answer for that first one, which was the sharpest edge, is OneDrive. You you get to your files in OneDrive, whether they're personal or whether they're shared with you. Yeah, that's I, and I like the way, I mean, obviously, you know, people who've seen you present before in keynotes, you spend a lot of time prepping for the way that you you bring that message across. And I think having you at Microsoft now has just made such a difference to the way that Microsoft talk about these things and the way that you get to that point of just explaining that. You know, your mind just works in a brilliant way of being able to kind of <laughs> unwrap it all from a technology perspective and explain it more as how someone as a user would understand it as well. Well, I appreciate that. You know, I hope I'm contributing to Microsoft. But the reality is Microsoft is on a really strong evolution to unify its experiences and really focus on empowering people. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not about we're building great tools that do these interesting things. It's about what people are doing with the tools. Yep. That's a huge cultural shift, and I'm just part of that. And there's a lot of brilliant people around me uh, across engineering and marketing and sales that are, that are helping it work. So the OneDrive, the files on demand is great, and the migration thing is a big, that's a big thing for you guys to yep. do. And it'll be interesting, again, like you'll be sitting there looking at the numbers of kind of activity inside those different tenants as well. For sure. In fact, uh, there's some interesting stats on that. We've had 300% growth in file sync in the last year. Wow. That's quadruple. So, wow. That is so people are really adopting OneDrive yeah. sync uh, and tons of just upload and download. Uh, and the other interesting one is um, that there were something... 
oh, I'm not going to remember the statistic. The number of users who are using files on demand even during beta was just staggering. Wow, okay. Yeah. And I think that's great because there was obviously a fear that, you know, they've you've been through the ringer a bit in terms of sync, just not mm-hmm. being quite right. And I think, you know, it's been great to hear Jeff Tiber kind of put his hands up and be like, you know, this time, we you know, we mean it and this is the issues that have been fixed and this is why we, you know, we hope you trust each other. And to get that kind of adoption, I think that must mean that people are like, you know what, let's give it that second chance or third chance, even in some cases. Yeah, and you know, want to have it and use it. One of the other things that's really amazing about files on demand that I think your readers need to know if they or your listeners need to know if they haven't seen it themselves, is in OneDrive on the web and in SharePoint and on the web, you can see two previews of 270 different file types. Yeah. So you can see previews of everything from Office to PDFs to Photoshop and Illustrator, AutoCAD, medical DICOM images, 3D images. The list goes on. 270 plus. Um, With files on demand, those thumbnails are now in Explorer. So you can literally go into your folder of logos that your marketing team sent you using Adobe Illustrator. And you You don't don't have have to to have Illustrator. And you can see the previews. Wow, that's nice. So it's just crazy. So I now have my entire photo collection in OneDrive um, uh, with OneDrive files on demand. And so I can see all my photos. I can see all my assets. Who do I need to talk to to get the Fuji... uh uh, raw format supported. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, I'll connect you with the right people. Yeah, because raw works, which is the Canon mm-hmm. format, but the Fuji one is a different format, and I noticed that they don't show up, which is like, oh, man. Well, I'm sure they have a list, so I'm, I'm sure. I'm all in OneDrive now, though. I dropped Amazon storage, wow. and I moved over to OneDrive, and um, now all I need is facial recognition, like Google Photos has, and I'll be happy. Yeah. We are announcing at Ignite uh, deeper uh, integration with photos. Okay. Uh, we have objects that we recognize, and we are uh, turning on uh, business objects, uh, so things like whiteboards, uh, desks, uh, paper, receipts, uh, so that though when you upload a photo, it automatically gets tagged with that attribute. So you you could actually go to your OneDrive today and search for receipt and it, or whiteboard, and it would probably pull some up. Oh, that's uh, we've cool. been doing it for a while. We just uh, didn't talk about it. Nice. Uh, and we are also announcing that we are uh, starting to index the text in photos. Uh, and that includes even handwriting. So wow. now your receipts, your if you take a picture of a document with your phone, if you have a whiteboard and you've taken a picture, we'll do our best uh, to get past illegible handwriting like mine and, uh, and <laughs> Doctor Scroll. That. Yep, that's cool. And so that so is that kind of bundled in with the kind of there seems to be a theme around um, intelligent search and stuff. Absolutely, this week. yeah. And intelligent search is a huge announcement for us. Uh, that's one of the capabilities that feed intelligent search, just better indexing, mm-hmm. which is really what that is. Along with the things that we announced earlier this year around um, around stream and its ability to recognize people and, yeah. and do real time transcription and index a video file, basically. Um, but what really is the announcement this week is personalized and intelligent search across Microsoft 365. So that's the micro, that's the marketing tagline. Let's talk about what that means. <laughs> what that means is that we are now surfacing results from Microsoft Graph wherever you work. So that's two things. Let's start with the graph itself. The graph, as, as your listeners probably know, is the machine learning layer that allows us to, that allows uh, the, the graph to understand who you are, what you work on, who you have relationships with in the organization, what they're working on, and to really start building an understanding of what's important to you. So that then when you go to search, you don't just get matches of a query, you get a relevant set of expertise, uh, people, uh, and content that um, uh, is really relevant to you and into the context you're working because the graph knows more about you. 
So that set of results now will surface wherever you search in Office. Uh, most importantly for up for me is SharePoint. We have a beautiful new search experience in SharePoint that's powered by uh, uh, this intelligent personalized search. You get a great set of results and the way they're presented is super interactive. So it's not just a bunch of links. You can expand and see previews of documents in, in real time. Uh, it's just a glorious experience and it includes sites, lists, libraries, documents, items, news, and, and very importantly, people. Um, and you'll now have the option as an organization to connect uh, and associate your Microsoft graph with the LinkedIn graph mm -hmm. so that you have the ability to learn more about people from the information that they keep in their LinkedIn profiles. And there's all kinds of uh, switches and, and, and options. There's no actual swapping of data. It's kind of like you go to the browser and you connect an app to LinkedIn. Right. Um, but it provides this incredible ability to know more about who someone is and what they've done in their lives. So uh, SharePoint Search uh, surfaces all of this beautiful experience. We also, a couple weeks ago, announced the new Office.com, which is sort of the homepage for Office 365 on the web. Uh, for people who've used Google Docs and, and Google Apps, it's a very similar kind of approach where you start somewhere and then you can get your apps mm -hmm. and you can get to all of your uh, documents because it surfaces recent work as well as surfacing uh, recommendations from the graph. So you can discover files that other people near you have been working on that you also have access to uh, so you know what you need to be paying attention to in, in your world. So uh, SharePointOffice.com. Uh, um, I'm going to hold one because I'm not sure they've announced it yet. <laughs> and, and last but not least, um, we announced the preview, the, the private preview of Bing for Business, yeah. uh, which we use inside of Microsoft. And it's very cool because it means if you're in a web browser, if you're just sort of out there and you're trying to find information that might be on your internet or on the internet, you have one tool to do oh, that. Oh, nice. Bing will give you the set of results that you would normally get from yeah. Bing. But even uh, but then you also get personalized results from the Microsoft graph. So if I search for uh, travel, for example, I'm not just going to get kayak.com and hotels.com. I'm going to get a link to our travel site. That's neat. Um, if I'm looking for for um, Harry Shum, I'm not just going to get the normal Bing search result that might take me to Wikipedia or LinkedIn. I'm going to get his Delve profile. Um, so it's sort of a unification of the results that are in the Microsoft graph that are surfacing elsewhere and Bing's search results. Uh, and I've got to say, it's made me even a bigger fan of Bing. It is so interesting to have one place that unifies the internet and internet results. Cool. And so I, to unpack that a little bit, I guess the first thing observation is uh, not every company is Microsoft. And this mm -hmm. might come across as a bit of a plug for Hyperfish, but of course it is. <laughs> but um, the whole like people search aspect to get that improvement has been something that uh, customers have been asking us, like, what are you doing in that space? And it's like, well, you know, really that's Microsoft's domain is to provide the experience of finding people. Right. Um, and obviously that's significantly improved now. And Oh, yeah. Um, it's across all the experiences as well in terms of the contact cards and so forth. Um, but a lot of companies don't have that profile data in place. And so that's obviously where we help out. And as I, as I said at the beginning of the show, Hypefish Lite actually helps with updating photos across your directory for free now, which is perfect for anyone that's on Office 365. I guess the, the question is around the, the search and combining the business with the internet and, and how I deliver that. Is it clear what results are coming from where? Like yes, is there it's very clear. Icons? It's divided into two sections. Oh, so okay. you can so see results from your organization and results from the web. Neat, okay. Yeah, and I, you know, I've been watching your company, I've been watching Hyperfish grow, knowing that we were going to be getting to this point with our search, and yeah. it is a really great story. Yeah. Uh, it, and it's going to get even better. The ability for people to find 
people based on expertise and skills mm-hmm. and to uh, uh, understand uh, how to take their, the knowledge that, that, that those people have built and build upon it is going to just keep getting better and better. And at the core of that, as you said, is a really good user profile. Yeah, yeah. And so the, the more that organizations can do to enrich their profiles uh, of what people are doing internally, the better. Uh, and now with a connection to LinkedIn's professional graph, you get that uh, extension of that set of information to their past life, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's interesting that some of the stuff we're working on kind of post-Ignite, uh, we, we've got the skill stuff, and that's one of the most popular attributes that people mm-hmm. turn on inside of Hyperfish. Um, and one of the things we're working on is um, that we'll actually look at the age of the skills that have been entered ah, and reach back out to the user and be, hey, look, we've noticed that your skills haven't been updated in six months. Hmm. Can you go look at these? And we're looking at ways of suggesting people as well. Cool. Um, and so LinkedIn becomes a big part of that Yeah. because people often have skills that are endorsed in their LinkedIn profile. And you don't necessarily want to take them all over, but having the ability to kind of go, yeah, this one makes sense to having my corporate profile as well as having totally. on LinkedIn. So that's some of the things that customers are toying with already and so that's an area we're going to be working on kind of after this event's Very rolled cool. out which is neat and then the other um, interesting thing with the skills is that you know we, we we work with customers that were saying well we got all this data in other systems and we want to bring that into office 365 right. so that it's searchable and so having linkedin integration side by side now is really nice for that comparison but um with hyperfish now we go a bit further so we actually have an integration framework which allows you to point to things like PeopleSoft or sap and either have the user be notified that it's missing and let them update it. Or if the HR team are kind of on this and all the job titles are populated, we'll actually pull that in overnight and update the profiles. And so we're finding customers that are, you know, well, we've got all the manager fields already done. Our HR team own that, but it's in the system mm-hmm. work day. And so now we're able to move all that stuff and update it so that in Office 365, when you do that people search or you look at the org chart, um, it'll actually work correctly based on the HR data. So it was really good to see those announcements of the direction that Microsoft's going in and how we kind of complement that and yeah, kind of move I, forward. Yeah, I know we've talked more about Hyperfish than we normally do on one of your podcasts, yeah. but I've got to say it's partners like you that really help our customers succeed mm-hmm. in this new world because without good data, the service is no, not going to provide as good of an experience. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's and, really, and then really we, excellent. We've talked about this on a previous show with, um, I forget who it was I had on the show when we were talking about it, but you've mentioned the graph a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, like, you know, the, kind of everything you've just explained is very dependent on the graph. Mm-hmm. And so um, I've written a blog post recently where it's just highlighting, you know, just be careful when you switch off the graph for the concerns of not having delve on and the worrying of discovering documents that you shouldn't be discovered. Um, is that that really starts to impact things like, I mean, it's impacted the SharePoint home for a long time, Mm -hmm. but all this new stuff, the intelligent surf stuff is still, that can impact that even further. So my suggestion, and I'd be interested in your opinion on this is, you know, like how do you guide a customer that wants to turn it off because they're scared of the discovery of the documents that Delve exposes? Mm -hmm. And honestly, that's going to happen even more now with an amazing search experience. Mm -hmm. How do you guide a customer through that journey of being... um, comfortable and trustworthy enough to leave the graph on to benefit from all these things mm-hmm. uh, but try and reduce that fear that typically seems to come from executives in companies mm-hmm. where they demand it to be turned off because of that discovery issue yeah i think there's two approaches i take with a customer like that first i start by stating the obvious which is the search isn't really the issue it's the permissions on the files which mm-hmm. they certainly understand they're like i know that things are only going to surface if someone has access to it and so if something surfaces that they shouldn't see it's because the permissions were bad Uh, So I start by stating the obvious and say it's important that you address that problem with your security because just because someone isn't finding it in search doesn't mean your document is secure. 
Uh, and if you're really concerned about that particular piece of information, you need to take some time, uh, help your manager management understand the risk that is being faced with poor permissions and address that, get mm-hmm. things into the right place. Um, and you know, migration is one of the opportunities to do that, where if you're migrating files from a file server, you can put it into SharePoint in Office 365 with a tight set of permissions to migrate those files over and then spend some time really looking at, you know, are they in fact uh, permissioned correctly? Uh, migration is a great time to sort of take a look at the stuff that you've got and take inventory. Uh, the second thing I point out is that uh, there are really dynamic ways to secure content in Office 365 that don't exist uh, on with on-prem, particularly with file servers. Uh, and that boils down to the ability to define sensitive information. So I can, in Office 365, help Office 365 understand what is PII. What, you know, how can it spot a credit card number? How can it spot a federal identification number or a passport number? How can it spot something that's confidential? And Office 365 then does the work of identifying that content and applying security policies on it. So wherever that content is, if someone accidentally dropped it into the root of the company's share, that content gets that gets uh, secured. Uh, and so between uh, an effort to fix poor permissions and using the security in Office 365 that really enables very dynamic, real-time security policy application, you uh, you can have a lot more confidence in the fact that your content is uh, is ackled in the way that it needs to to meet your business requirements. And then search, of course, respects those permissions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting kind of journey for those customers that did turn it off. And mm-hmm. the users are going to start seeing all these amazing features and wondering why they're not there. Yeah, so, for sure. Um, it, it's definitely a... a it's a tough to test decision, which might be seem an easy fix at first, but the reality is it's better to get your house in order and leave that thing on yeah, for um, sure. to benefit from all those intelligent search aspects. Yeah, and if you even take the worst case look at that whole situation, it's probably better that someone discovers it and points out that they have mm-hmm. access to a file they shouldn't than that someone down the line has access to something and does something malicious with it. Yeah. So in some ways, discovery can be used to uh, crowdsource better security yeah yeah and, and react to it quickly mm-hmm. and make sure it's locked down yeah there was a case in australia there was a customer i was working with and someone was doing a vanity search on their own name and discovered a word document with their salary information and their wow. benefits and so they'd put in their colleague's name and oh there's his salary and his benefits <laughs> and um you know they kind of turned everything off very quickly and addressed the information architecture and tightened it up and then turn search back on. So there's definitely an exercise there. And I guess that's one thing to bear in mind with the new migration tool is, you know, be careful what you're migrating in and where mm-hmm. you're putting it because you could have the same kind of concerns there. And it's your responsibility to think that through when you start moving entire file shares into SharePoint Online. And again, you might not have had search on your file server. And now you're going to get all the fruits and benefits that you do of migrating it into OneDrive. Yep, exactly. And so what else? Is there any, any other yeah, the mystical other, bits? The other, there's, a, there's a couple of related security announcements since we're on the topic of security. We did announce that we are uh, uh, moving forward into previews of multi-geo capabilities for M365 uh, for SharePoint, OneDrive, and Exchange, which allows large global customers to address compliance requirements that have very specific data residency uh, right. requirements. So if I'm a large global company, I can have... Uh, users in Europe with their OneDrive and SharePoint site data in Europe, and I can have teams in Australia, which we just mentioned, uh, with their data and sites in Australia, and it's still one organization. So we can search across those those containers. 
uh, if the user moves from Australia to Europe, their data follows them and moves to Europe. Wow. Uh, and that multi-geo capability is something that none of our competitors have. Uh, the Germans will be happy. Yeah, the Germans will be very happy <laughs> with that for sure. Uh, it also is going to unlock some very interesting things uh, down the road for us um, as far as tenant level security goes. Uh, and we are uh, also gave some more details around um, uh, managing uh, managing your service key, uh, yep. which is something that uh, that are it is very important to a small subset of customers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Microsoft encry- encrypts data five ways up and down. Uh, your data is very very secure and encrypted in Office three sixty five, but in the end, it's encrypted with keys uh, that the service controls, so yep. the service can unlock the data and do what it needs to do. Um, you now have the option as a customer to have a key that encrypts your service keys. So uh, you as a customer have the ability to renew that key. Mm -hmm. uh, And if for some reason you need to block Office 365's access to your content, worst case, you decide to leave Office 365. You can revoke that key and you're and you can have complete confidence that the service doesn't have access and to And I guess data. there's some kind of privacy things of the government having access to files that it doesn't really put the responsibility on Microsoft. It's in responsibility of the customer to give the key over. Yeah, this really isn't designed for that to quite to that specific scenario. Right. But uh, but it's 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 aiming at the same direction, yeah, which is sure. giving the giving the customer more ability to uh, control their relationship mm-hmm. with the service. That's cool. Um, and uh, we, uh, we, uh, we also, a small thing, but a big thing to many of your listeners, we announced the vision uh, for SharePoint Server 2019, uh, which will go into preview next summer and be released in the second half of 2018. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we continue to be dedicated to bringing modern ex- user experiences to our on-prem customers. Uh, we're innovating some new cloud-connected capabilities for those customers who are uh, maintaining coexistence strategies where some workloads are on the prem and some are in the cloud, uh, and uh, providing some additional infrastructure capabilities to IT. Um, so, so, so get- does that mean that because um, Feature Pack Two was announced very recently as well? Yep. And honestly, I was a little surprised that modern user experience wasn't part of that. Yep. Um, and the SharePoint framework was, which was great. Yeah. Especially for you know, I was involved for anyone's listening for a long time in the kind of the in- initiation of messaging of that. Um, so that's going to be good for adoption of on-premises developers. Yep. But they're not going to be able to really take advantage of it until modern sites goes down into SharePoint Server. Well, you can build modern frame, modern web parts, web parts that go into classic on, pages. Right. And, and, that, think, and, and, and that's sort of the, the point in the journey that we want to enable developers to take sure. advantage of. It's The yep. journey journey's definitely not over. Yeah. Uh, but we decided we wanted to um, uh, bring the next wave of value as a new version of SharePoint Server. It's sure. been three years. It's time. Uh, and it allows us to actually do more. The yeah. technology that you can bake into a new product is different than what you can bring down through an update strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're still very committed to bringing the modern experiences to customers. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, as a as a former non-Microsofty looking at the release of SharePoint Server 2016, I can say that I'm very excited about the release of SharePoint Server 2019. Yeah. Uh, it's going to continue to deliver on that um, that ability to coexist. Uh, and to bring maximum value to on-prem customers. Yeah, no, that's great. I'm looking forward to that. I think that will definitely be the the spike in the on-premises development changing from more of sandbox solutions and the add-in model up to the framework. And as you say, like being able to build SharePoint framework web parts right now and use them on classic pages is a good like step in the right direction. Yeah. If devs are making the Just decision a on, a, on a new web part they want to build, mm-hmm. it would be a good way to kind of start trying out this stuff because the learning curve is a lot, lot longer Right. Um, you know, you're no longer really in Visual Studio. You're 
uh, web developer, which for a lot of people, this is great because that's the world they live in of writing Node and yeah. not writing .NET. So um, that's great that, that that you've made that more transparent now of where modern sites will be coming to SharePoint Server. That's cool. Yep, and our first party web parts will come as well. Um, speaking of which, one of the, the other huge category of announcements we made were was around sites, pages, and parts. Uh, you know, we in May talked about how much easier it is for users to create beautiful sites, whether they're team sites or communication sites to sort of reach across the organization. Yeah. Um, and, uh, it is, I've literally seen brand new users sit down and if they're pointed to the new page command and the edit button, they create these wickedly beautiful sites. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's really pretty astounding. Uh, and part of that is having great layouts. Uh, we introduced multi-column layouts earlier this summer. Uh, part of it is having amazing web parts. And we are showing off a whole lot of brand new web parts, uh, including an embed web part that lets you bring in any embed content. So let's say YouTube video, Vimeo video, an Amazon book card, uh, anything that you can embed. Uh, we're bringing a brand new file viewer web part uh, that replaces our document viewer. The document viewer helped you see, uh, embed office documents into a page. This taps into that same list of 270 previews, so you can put any document in that list oh, right. onto a page. That's cool. And have full interactivity on it uh, in a browser, Mac, PC, web, mobile. Nice. Uh, we uh, released a bunch of connections, connections to third-party uh, parts and uh, third-party services, including Twitter and YouTube. Uh, and we invest, we're investing and releasing over the course of the next couple of months a bunch of improvements to existing parts. Yeah. The highlighted contents web part, which uh, lets you search for and display mm -hmm. information, is getting much more powerful query capabilities and the ability to control how that information is displayed. Right. Uh, the text web part, which you think of as, oh, that's just the boring text web part, now has a whole panel where you can control color and font and all, and you can do tables, uh, which is super duper cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, um, and all of that accrues to SharePoint pages, whether they're on team mm -hmm. sites or comp sites, and to SharePoint news. And one of the things I really want people to think about is how helpful it is to use a rich page full of dynamic content that's pulling information from Office 365 and third-party sources, uh, how much more effective that is than an email where all you can do is type text and maybe embed a picture. Yeah. Um, you know, people use email to share news, to here's the weekly update, here's the monthly update, here's the project status. Turn that into a rich page and you have a much more interactive and engaging uh, communication. Yeah. It can become two-way because you can comment on a page or you can use the new uh, mobile-ready Yammer web part to really connect to conversations. Uh, I was going to ask you. Yep, we're releasing that. that. Okay, um, that's perfect. Uh, which is great for communication Well, wow, Yammer isn't dying then. Oh, there, we can talk about that actually. There's a lot of great stuff for Yammer. Um, and uh, you, so you can have this great rich communication. You can make it engaging in two-way and then you can promote it to wherever people live. So if people live in their inbox, you can now, there's a promote command that lets you send it by email, that lets you send it into Teams. Huh. Um, you can um, also create a news digest where you pull a couple of different articles and send them out an email. And there's a news connector that will in real time pull news into Teams. So a team can be kept up to date with the latest announcement and have discussions around those posts. So you're really seeing that as more of a, rather than sending an email and doing all that formatting in the email. Exactly. It's kind of build it in SharePoint and have a much richer experience than what can be rendered in your inbox. Totally. And then just send or promote, as you say, promote a link mm -hmm. so they go visit the SharePoint page. Yeah, exactly. That's neat. And, uh, and you get page views now. You get uh, in, So as the author of a page, you can see how many people viewed it, how many people liked it. Just like me at the moment looking at the Hyperfish Try page. And exactly. Hyperfish.com.try. It's nice to get that feedback. Um, being able to see how many people are viewing it, you kind of stare at it and look at it go up. 
Yeah, and That's SharePoint neat. Mobile now has notifications. So if we work together and you post a news article, I'll get a mobile notification that lets me dive deep into that article. Nice. I can create uh, news on Android now as well as iOS from SharePoint Home directly. News is, I think, sort of the the killer feature from uh, what could I let end users start doing today that yeah. they would rapidly figure out how to use and make get a lot of value out of. Yeah. News is that feature. I it remember is amazing. talking to Jeff Taper about it in Europe at a conference when we were traveling and um, at the time I was like, I couldn't quite get it. Like it just seems like this re reinventing what Yammer was doing well. But mm -hmm. Mark Cashman, who's on your mm -hmm. team, I did a really good job on the podcast uh, on this show talking about this notion of, you know, like it's just a much richer and mm -hmm. deeper experience and being able to surface lots of different things from different areas that, you know, it's created very quickly compared to what you would do if you were building a PowerPoint deck and sharing that with everyone, which was more probably the traditional way of trying to share a story totally. or updating a team with information or, you know, even more traditional, just putting in an email and blasting that out. Right. Plus it's indexed. Yeah. You can manage security. Uh, and it stays there forever so right. that a new team member can really catch up and see yep. the history of something as opposed to an email where it drops into individual e inboxes never to be seen again. Yeah. Um, there's just so many benefits So to just it. to drill on the Yammer thing then. So you, mm -hmm. if you want to comment on Team News, um, SharePoint News to Team News? SharePoint News is SharePoint what we call news. it, yeah. Um, if you want to comment on SharePoint News, the Yammer web part's on the page. And so the users can just go and like, this is awesome, thanks very much. Or they can ask follow-up questions based on what they've read. Um, what was the decision there? Like, was that just like, um, I guess the Yammer web part always existed rather than having a Microsoft Teams web part on the page. But what was the direction? Is it more about like communicating out loud that outer loop versus the inner and that's loop? That's exactly thing? what it is. So let's 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 pull it out of a, an individual article for a moment because you can you can use Yammer, you can use the built-in page comments right now. Yep. Where Yammer really lights up at the moment in this in this point in the journey is. If you think about it, uh, a site that you're using to communicate a new product to the sales force so that they can sell it. And you can embed a set of conversations that you can surface the latest conversations or the newest conversations. People can contribute to that conversation. And very importantly, it works on mobile too, yeah. um, which the previous Yammer embed did not. Um, and, uh, and it allows that conversation to happen in the open so people can converse on the communication site with the part or yeah. they may be in Yammer right, and, right. and see the communication and using, going on yeah using a group or using hashtags or whatever to uh, to surface that content um, and it really is about the outer loop uh, I think on a team site uh, we now have uh, a link to conversations that you can put in your quick launch that takes you to uh, whichever group which, whichever experience that group is conversing in into their Outlook group into their um, Yammer group if it happens to be a Yammer connected group uh, and soon into Microsoft Teams. Nice. So we have that. And we're going to be adding uh, web parts that will surface recent conversations right onto the page of, uh, let's say, your homepage of your team site. Uh, we also announced a web part that embeds Planner into your homepage. Wow. So we're really deepening the integration between SharePoint and the rest of the Office 365 collaboration experiences so that, again, a group can work in Teams and get the benefit of SharePoint. A, a group can work in Outlook groups or Yammer and get the benefit of SharePoint. Or a group can work on the intranet on their SharePoint team site or extranet, yeah. which of course is one of the real special things that Yammer can or that SharePoint can contribute, um, and uh, and and have access to all the tools they need. So so the Yammer web part was a big thing for us for Yammer, but they've been innovating uh, a lot in the last uh, since the last Ignite, uh, a new desktop app, new iPad app, all kinds of new capabilities. 
Uh, the big announcement that I know a lot of the technical audience that you have would be very interested in is that we are going into public preview of uh, local data residency. Uh, in the past, Yammer data at rest was stored in United States data centers. And for some customers, that was uh, uh, problematic. And so later this year, for European customers, there'll be a preview uh, that will allow them to host Yammer data at rest in Europe. Um, and then we'll go into other geographies wow. next year. Uh, and that is part of a movement, uh, a really a re-architecting of Yammer into Microsoft Graph. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a first-class citizen in Graph, which then will accrue all the benefits of Graph right. to Yammer, DLP, e-discovery, search. Yeah, right. So it's, 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 it's a very big step on its own, but it's a huge step uh, in the journey of Yammer to really support every customer yeah, in, their, want to be in that their outer loop conversation. Yeah, architect involved in that. I'm sure Angus is uh, <laughs> glad this is all done. Yes, it's been it's been a, it's you know it's been something we've been really looking forward to talk about for wow. sure. Oh, that's interesting. And because I you know often get asked you know what's my opinion of X Y Z and mm-hmm. you know being asked around Yammer and is it dead? Is it dead? And it's it's the journey that it's been on being purchased and acquired, Mm -hmm. finding a home, integrating with Office 365, and now doing this next journey of integrating into SharePoint Tider and having those desktop apps. And, um, you know, it's not that long ago before everyone was asking whether SharePoint was dead and now look at it. So I I think that's the way I position it. It's just a little bit further behind in the SharePoint wave of coming back. Um, And, you know, this is definitely a good indication that Yammer's there and that just because Microsoft Teams exists doesn't mean the Yammer can't coexist with it as well. Yeah, and I think I would encourage your listeners who have any curiosity about how Yammer fits into the suite to watch the session at Ignite on the Yammer vision and roadmap. Right. Because what you'll see is Yammer as a as a as a product team has real clarity. I, I would argue perhaps more than any other team at Microsoft as to exactly what the path to success is for customers. Mm-hmm. They've identified patterns of usage that really um, light up with Yammer, one of which is cross-organizational connections. For example, the Microsoft US subsidiary, giant organization, uses Yammer to connect everyone and to keep everyone informed and up-to-date and to have open conversations. So organizational groups is one pattern. A second is communities, which is pretty easy to understand, a community around a topic. Uh, uh, or an interest or an uh, area of practice. Yeah. And the third is really um, connections around uh, ideation and innovation, right. where you're trying to get everyone to look at a process or th- come up with an idea, and, and, the, and the most valuable thing you need there is diversity of perspective, yeah. um, which you do not get in a closed group. Right, you because you're picking teams. the people you think exactly. should be in the discussion, whereas Yammer, it's open. Yeah, so that's yep. the that's third category, is which you know we're calling initiative groups, is is really the, uh, to me, the most digitally transformative uh, wow, piece of Microsoft Office, buzzword. right? Yeah, Mic right. Drop. Uh, I, I think it's the thing that really uh, customers are, are, that's where if a customer wanted to, ask, if a customer asked me, what's the best step I could make to make the biggest step towards digital transformation as easily as possible, it would be implementing Yammer for ideation and innovation. Yeah. Because it's it's an easy interface for people to adopt. Uh, it's crazy successful. It blasts through silos and bureaucracy by mm-hmm. connecting everyone from the first line all the way up to yeah, the executive. It's more transparent. Just, yeah, it's super yeah. transparent. Yeah, I used to really enjoy that when I was at Microsoft with such as CEO connections mm-hmm. and those aspects that, whoop, that we used um, with, with Yammer so that we could ask such a mm-hmm. you know it's a big company but he would respond and yeah and he would actually give feedback based on the threads he'd been reading and it was a great way of kind of having the top level rank talk to the bottom yeah. level rank that i was when i was there <laughs> <laughs> not quite but um yeah no so that's that's interesting so i'm glad that yammer's kind of got that direction and 
um, the Yammer marketing is part of your team. Yep, the Yammer, too, Yammer right? marketing team. So uh, it's in good hands. Yeah, oh, thank you. <laughs> it's in good hands with them. Uh, Connie yeah. and Angus, uh, Angus yeah. are Angus amazing. Yep, yep, I listened to that podcast. He did a great job. And Naomi Moneypenny, who you know quite yeah, well, right. uh, spends time working both with Yammer and SharePoint on integration. Mm-hmm. Uh, so some of the social internet scenarios. Uh, and we've got some some cool stuff coming out uh, later this year around helping organizations really connect and uh, and share information and keep everyone moving forward. No, that's exciting. I look forward to seeing more of that co-on as well because um, they're really nice guys. And yeah, um, I know like in the past, some of my opinions, they were kind of like, oh, you, don't, you don't get it, Jeremy. And I think the more we've had conversations around it, I start to kind of really understand where they're coming from and what their kind of motivations are. Mm-hmm. And it's great that they're kind of ironing out those scenarios and making it very very clear of where it fits and where it works yeah exactly um, which is really really cool and i i think you're right the custom success thing just in the way that yammer was founded as a company and how adam and those guys kind of initially came up with the custom success Mm -hmm. thing they were ahead of the game in terms of a SaaS service doing that and it's something we aspire to do hyperfish with our customer success team um, and, and sharing those stories of how people use Hyperfish, you know, to our user base as well, because I think it really helps to hear how others are working and what makes them successful, and totally. and how it changes the way they work in their digital workplace. <laughs> <laughs> we had to say it right. Term drop. <laughs> Take a drink. And um, actually, one of the big ones um, that comes up from a customer success story was uh, another customer we had uh, had Yammer, and one of the big things they were finding was is that because people didn't have their profile photos uh, and their job title in their profiles. Because you're working out loud in the open, in, in the outer loop, is that you were less likely to engage because you didn't know who they were mm-hmm. and you weren't sure whether they were seniority or rank mm-hmm. where their opinion needed you to respond yeah. or maybe you were scared to respond because you didn't know. Right. And so having that information in there actually really makes that experience better for people. Absolutely. And so we'd had a few customers purchase us purely based on the fact that they wanted photos and they wanted the job title in their profiles. And so obviously with our hyperbot, we go find everyone in the directory that doesn't have a photo, reach out to them and let them know, and then they update it. Yeah, it's pretty amazing technology for sure. You can't have people-centric, you know, uh, you can't have people-centric technology without knowing who the people are. Yeah. Uh, And again, I think bad data is something organizations have to get past in order to make the most of this modern workplace. And what you are doing for your customers is certainly helping them take advantage of what we're doing in Microsoft 365. Yeah, no, it's been good. And I look at Dan, I know you've got to go because we've, there's, I'm sure your calendar is way worse than mine. <laughs> um, so I really appreciate your time and I'm sure the listeners really appreciate the fact you carved out time to jump on the show. So a big thank you. Thank you. And uh, enjoy the rest of the week. I will be watching avidly as more and more of these announcements come out because this is not everything we've just talked about for sure. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you can see the excitement in everyone's faces as well, which is great. Yeah. Um, the passions there in your team is really good. So congrats on another successful launch. Thanks. And if anyone wants to start getting some of the details of this, they can go to aka.ms slash SP Ignite 2017. Sweet. That's the link. Yep. Excellent. Thanks very much, mate. And um, Thank you, safe man. travels home. Thanks for listening to the Hypefish podcast. Please go to iTunes and subscribe or to whatever podcast player you use. Please, please, please leave a review on iTunes. It really helps us with our ratings. Also, don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Hyperfish.